and honor Daniel for the ways he's invested here. And um, as you came in, you may have smelled some ribs cooking, and we're going to have some ribs and some pulled pork after this to celebrate Daniel. There's a guy, Tom, here at church that came up to me a few weeks ago and said, I promised Daniel ribs years ago, and I got to do it. So they're pulling it together. And out in the lobby, there's a table where you can write down a word that just describes Daniel uh, to you, and you can put it in the bin there. We're going to use all those words to create a, a, a piece of uh, art, uh, an art piece uh, using all those words. And I want to encourage you to stop by the table in the lobby and do that if you haven't yet already. It's important to uh, remember the good things that God has done in our lives, those he's used to bless us and encourage us in faith. And uh, many of you have sent in letters uh, to Daniel, appreciating him and uh, for the years he's invested here. We found a letter, actually, that was made out to uh, someone named Tim, and, and we don't have a Tim on staff, so we've been trying to figure out who this belongs to. We haven't tracked him down yet. I thought maybe I'd just read it this morning, like maybe we'll be able to figure out who, who Tim is, who this letter <laughs> belongs to, um, just because I can't figure out whose it is. So, oh, it's a pretty pretty hefty letter here. But okay, I'll just start reading at the beginning. <laughs> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Kind of a formal start way to start a letter. Paul's writing to Tim. Okay, we got it. Uh, next paragraph. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I might be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. So Paul knows Timothy's family, it sounds like. Uh, next paragraph. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave you does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Interesting letter we found here at the church. You probably know just by that little reading there that it's actually a letter we find in the Bible, right? One of Paul's letters to his uh, friend, his uh, mentee, Timothy. He wrote two letters to him, and this is the second letter that he wrote, probably the final writing that we have of Paul in the Bible. And it talks about his friend and his, the person he invested in named Timothy. I like how right at the beginning he says, Timothy, my dear son, uh, we know Timothy wasn't actually his son, not by birth anyway, but, but Paul had invested in him in such a way that it was almost like a spiritual birth, that Timothy came to Paul, came to faith because of Paul's influence in his life, and Paul was his spiritual father investing in him. It makes me think about that question. So who are your spiritual kids? If Timothy was one of Paul's spiritual kids, who are your spiritual kids? Who are the ones you've invested in in such a way that their faith has expanded and grown and the world is different because of the ways you've poured into them and encouraged them in the faith. I met about two weeks ago with a woman named Miss Vani. Some of you know her. She taught kindergarten here on Sunday mornings for 20 years. And uh, many of you have kids, or you yourself might point back to Vani's influence in your life as she told the stories of God, as she helped you encounter Jesus' love in real ways. And, and she's invested in you. She has many spiritual kids there are people who have intentionally reached out to you and, and spoken over you and, and, and asked you what God was doing in your life. They've invested in you. 
And then there's others that you have done that for as well. And, and we are involved in this kind of spirit, spiritual parenthood in our lives, the idea that we invest in others. And so I want to ask you this morning, who are your spiritual kids? Who are those that you're investing in? The way that Paul invested in Timothy. And your first thoughts might go to your own kids. If you have kids, you might think about your own kids. You might think about nieces and nephews or maybe grandkids. But I want you to also think outside of that as well. Maybe it's someone at work or someone at school or someone in the neighborhood that God is encouraging you and calling you to invest in them that they might grow in their faith. And with the, the way we're also connected digitally these days, they don't even have to live near you. You can be investing in them. When Paul thought about Timothy, he had this emotional reaction about Timothy. He says in the letter here, I, I constantly remember you in my prayers day and night. He says, I long to see you so that I might be filled with joy. When Paul would think of Timothy, it would, just, it would wake him up. It would enliven him with joy. Who is like that in your life? Who fills you with joy when you think about them? Too often I get stuck thinking about the people that fill me with jitters instead of with joy, you know? <laughs> why, is it that, why is that true about us? We tend to focus on those that bring negative things or that pull us down, and we just focus on that. Paul is helping us understand we should focus on those that bring us joy, those that we've invested in, those that are growing in their faith. I appreciate that about Paul. Where did Paul and Timothy meet? How did, they, how did they come together? What brought their relationship about? We don't always have those backstories in Scripture. We don't always know exactly where those relationships came from. But in Paul and Timothy's case, we do. It's actually written out for us in the book of Acts. If you haven't opened up your Bible yet, maybe you want to open up your Bible app or open up your Bible to Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5, and we can read the little story here of how Paul and, and Timothy met each other. The beginning of this friendship and relationship, this spiritual parenthood that Paul writes about. Acts 16, Acts was written by Luke, and, uh, and he was along with Paul on many of his journeys. He would have known Timothy, and he tells us this story. Uh, Acts 16, verse 1. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, of Timothy, and Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. And there Luke is referencing the chapter before this, they had their first kind of church business meeting. And they're trying to decide, does someone have to become Jewish first before they become a follower of Jesus? Or can they just become a follower of Jesus? And they made the decision that you didn't have to become Jewish first. You could just become a follower of Jesus. This was good news for the people that Paul and Timothy were going out to talk to. So in verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in number. So Timothy was a Lystrian. He's from Lystra, this little village in, in what is now Turkey, in the, over near the Mediterranean Sea. His mother, uh, who we know was named Eunice from Paul's letter that we wrote, read a minute ago, she was Jewish and a believer. So she had grown up uh, worshiping Yahweh and understanding the Old Testament. And at some point in her life, she came to the understanding that Jesus was the Messiah. And she put her faith in Jesus and became a follower of his. 
And then it tells us that Paul's father was a Greek, it just says. He was a Greek. It says it twice, actually. And so what Luke is saying there is that uh, he, would not, he was not a follower of God. He was not Jewish. He was not Christian. He was simply a Greek. And, and so it's interesting, the word was in reference to him. He was a Greek. It's actually telling us that he probably had passed away. He was no longer alive. So God meets Timothy in his loss of his father, and he brings him into relationship with Paul, who becomes for him like a spiritual father. And Paul was looking for a traveling companion, and Timothy was, was well-regarded and available. And so Paul said, come along with me. And Paul was still focused on reaching the Jewish people. And because of that, Timothy had to go through, you know, one unfortunate little medical procedure uh, so that he would not offend the, the Jewish people. He had to go through circumcision. Now, this decision wasn't about Timothy's spiritual connection with God. It wasn't to help him, you know, grow in righteousness, that, that circumcision. It was a strategic move by Paul. He knew that everyone knew Timothy's dad was Greek and would assume that Timothy was Greek, and he wanted to say, that's going to interfere with your ability to speak into the life of the Jewish community. You won't be welcomed into the synagogue. And so, Timothy, we're going to get you circumcised so that that's not an issue any longer, not a barrier that you have to, to go through. And because Paul and Timothy teamed up, the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. This was a good move for Paul, for Timothy, for the kingdom of God. And over time, Paul invested a lot of energy into Timothy. Their connection became very important to both of them. You can see that in the letter. And one of the things I really appreciate about this letter is, is Paul writes, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, he says. I'm reminded of your sincere, authentic faith. And the literal language here that Paul is using, he says, your unmasked faith, a faith that's not hidden, doesn't pretend, it's who you really are. A few weeks ago, we talked about sometimes the masks that we wear to look right in front of other people when we're trying to figure out who we are. We talked about Matthew, the tax collector, and how Jesus met him and helped him remove his mask and have authentic faith in him. And that's what Paul saw in Timothy. And because he didn't wear a mask, Paul said, you've you got leadership potential. And he, he put him in charge uh, of the church in Ephesus. I think Paul's favorite church, if I can say Paul had a favorite church, I think it was the church in Ephesus. And he said, Timothy, I want you to take leadership of that church. And, and Timothy helped Paul write some of his letters that we have in the New Testament. We can see Timothy came alongside Paul and helped him with 2 Corinthians and Philippians and Colossians and 1 and 2 Thessalonians and Philemon, all these letters. Paul mentions Timothy in the greeting right at the beginning. And when Paul would do that, it was his way of saying, this is someone who helped me in the writing of this letter. So they had a strong connection. They really worked together. And this may be why Paul mentions Timothy tear, Timothy's tears in the letter here. He says, I see your tears. I know your tears. And it's because there were times when they had to separate. There were times when, when Paul would head out to a new place or he would send Timothy back to another church to encourage them. And these times of separation would come and, and there was no promise that they, might, that they were going to come back together again. And so there was an emotion, there was tears that came out, much like in Acts 20 when Paul went to Ephesus to say goodbye, and it says that they wept as he left. And that's the kind of connection that Timothy and Paul had with one another. It was deep, it was intimate, it was powerful. There was joy there. And I just want you to know this morning that this kind of connection with someone else, this kind of intimacy, this kind of spiritual father and spiritual child, this connection, it's not just reserved for Paul and Timothy. It's not just for the super spiritual among us. It's not just for missionaries and church planters and things like that. It's for the sons and daughters of God. It's for those who have asked Jesus for forgiveness and received new life in him. 
and they have the Spirit of God in them. And God says, I want you to go and I want you to, to help people grow in their faith. I want you to help people expand their understanding of God's presence in the world. It's something that we can all participate in and take part in. And Paul gives us some, some real good ideas of what do, you, what do you do with someone? What do you talk to them about? How do you encourage them in their faith? What are the kind of questions you can ask? And Paul gives us some guidance here. I want to look at that with you. But before we do that, I just want you to hear a couple stories of the way this has played out in our church, how people at Hillcrest have been encouraged in their faith by, by someone else. And since we're, we're celebrating Daniel this morning, I want, to, I want to celebrate how he has done this in the life of Doug and uh, Jenny. So I want to ask Doug and Jenny if they would come up here. And they're going to share with us just a little bit of their story um, and how Daniel has invested in them. So my question for you guys is, are one or, what are one or two ways Daniel has encouraged your connection with Jesus? And Doug, yeah, you go ahead and start. Thank you, Nate. Um, I just tried to organize things so that I stay right on track and, and <laughs> be short and sweet. But uh, I, I did want to say once I was in a meeting, uh, an industry meeting in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and I started talking to this guy next to me, and he asked where I'm from. I said, Kansas City. He goes, you know Daniel Brimer? I said, pretty well. And he goes, best worship leader in the U.S. <laughs> he said it. The guy was going into prisons, uh, women's prisons, and preaching the Lord and seeing big results, and it, it was no surprise to me that these two would know each other. Um, I want to just say that uh, I don't think it's any accident that Daniel was named Daniel by his parents. Um, his life is so, you know, typified by the man Daniel in the Bible. And um, I've met a lot of people in my lifetime that exuded amazing self-confidence, and yet I don't know one person who has a stronger self-confidence in that, with the fact that God loves him unconditionally than Daniel Brimer. Uh, his whole way about going to the throne in complete and total comfort without any hesitation, without any feeling of sinfulness, certainly not because of uh, his good works, no offense, but because of God's redeeming grace. He totally knows that to the core of his being. And that's one of the things that he's really helped me with because when I first met him, I felt still that I, there's a lot of things I had to uh, work hard to, you know, get God's approval. And Daniel just blows that completely away. <laughs> Daniel is a different thinking individual. Um, when there are problems in front of us or challenges or situations, which, let's face it, that's life every day just about, um, I think our natural tendencies are to gather data and do analysis and get a consortium of opinions from people, go to people you respect, get their opinion, see where you're going. And uh, Daniel's really taught me that you take those things and you put them aside. And you take that problem and you set it aside and you go to the throne of God. And it was a puzzle to me because Many years ago, five years ago, I had a, a monumental change I had to make in my organization. After 35 years of doing business, I had to change out what was close to uh, 1,500 accounts, and it was a big decision for me to, to make the change, but I needed to do it. And taking a page out of his book, I called Daniel into it, and 
started with just going to the throne. I mean, just putting the problem aside, the analysis aside, just seeking God, and it started to become clear to me what I needed to do. Mm. Uh, we, we finished that by bringing Daniel into our office and put everybody in my conference room, and he came in, handed out Bibles, and uh, brought his guitar. This was with my staff. They'd never seen anything like this before, really. <laughs> and uh, to this day, around the copier, the coffee machine, the accounting office, there's little post-its of the scriptures that he brought into our office that day. And uh, they're not moving. Those are staying right on the wall. Even if we change the lease, we're going to move those upstairs. So <laughs> that's, uh, anyway, wanted to say that. The other thing that uh, I, I found with Daniel is that there's just no bitter root in him, whatever that term means, but I, I think it fits for him. I mean, I've just worked very, very closely with him. And I, so one day I asked him after we'd met, I said, you know, that's not exactly me. So I wanted to have lunch with him and say, okay, so how do you get that? You know, how do you get that? And he taught me a lesson. I'm still working on this. He goes, but you know, typical deal, Daniel would say, he goes, you know, when you're uh, scrubbing pots and there's one that's a real mess, I'm like, yeah, you know, I used to be a houseboy in a sorority house, cleaning the pots after, you know, it's a lot of work. And he says, you know how you have to just like soak one of them with, you know, all sorts of soap suds and stuff, just let it sit there for a long time? I said, yeah, I get that. He goes, well, that loosens up all that stuff and it makes it, you know, makes it easy. And a sermon I wish we could have heard was, was that, so I'm giving it now, but basically he's saying, that's what you need to do with God. You just need to get in his presence and continually go there until all that stuff, that hardness leaves you. And I, I'm going there. It's taken me a while. I got a lot of room to, to work from, but that's something he's really done for me. Final point here. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> um, I, I wanted to just say that as I look ahead, uh, into the direction the world's going and the direction our country's going, direction of society. Um, I'm, I am really genuinely disappointed in the, the way of the world as to where it's going. It's not what I thought it was going to be. And um, so the thing that uh, has happened with me meeting Daniel is he's pointed me in the right direction. He's shown me where we're going. And what I'm gonna do with my family is put all of our hope on the other side of all of this. We're going to put our focus on what is to come. And what I mean by that is the heavenly kingdom, the throne, the recreation of uh, you know, God's kingdom here on earth. That's where all of our hope is gonna be as this other stuff just gets dimmer and dimmer to me. And uh, so I, I can't be in his debt enough for being the guy who came along to me and said, this is where you look, this is how you go. So um, I just would say this in finishing that Daniel has been the consummate uh, guide. And what I mean by that is the person, like you've been in a crowd before and you, you see a bunch of people and there's one guy going like this and everybody starts going like that. And, and that is exactly what he's done with me and a lot of y'all, too, is that he is pointing to heaven. It's never to him. It's never to, you know, some agenda or some side thing. It is always about going to the kingdom. So anyway, that I'm done. You do. Thanks, Doug. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's okay. Um, yeah, I said I, after first service, I had 
a bunch planned, but then I scrapped a lot of it in response to some of the circumstances of this morning. And um, I think I can remember a lot of what I said for service because it's a natural, natural response. But um, what we all witnessed this morning with, you know, Daniel, everything he's going through with his family and his dad, um, I said, I just think I envision how sweet smelling that incense is to the Lord, worshiping through that, um, worshiping in the midst of it all, um, because we don't, we don't worship just in cer- certain circumstances, but we worship God, who is the constant through it all. And um, so as far as deepening my own connection um, with Jesus, I think about what Paul said, and Paul said, be imitators of myself. And I think it's really through, through watching Daniel and through watching not just him leading on a Sunday morning, but through watching his life. Um, I think about Romans 12, 1, where it says, you know, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Um, and I see that with Daniel, that it's not just um, the music on a Sunday morning. It's not just um, leading our congregation so faithfully, but it's through, you know, I think about him and his family. It's through um, helping his dad at two in the morning. I think that's worship. That's that's so sweet to the Lord. And, and watching that, you know, first service, I was talking about how, um, how much you can tell that Daniel, Daniel knows the Lord. He knows him intimately. He walks with him. He has a relationship with him. Um, and it's clear because you think at two in the morning, who wants to be up then? Who wants to be, um, you know, serving in that way? And yet, He mentioned something this morning about God's value system and about how um, he begins to mold our minds into into delighting in those times, into delighting into into that kind of worship. Um, And so that kind of relationship with the Lord, you know, I look at that and I say, I want to know him. I want to know God. I want to know Jesus, this man that he knows and serves and worships because of who he is. Not because of how we're feeling or not because of um, circumstances, but one who we can worship and entrust all our stuff with, entrust everything that's going on in our lives with, because he's worthy. And I've watched Daniel do that day in and day out, just, just in his life, you know, also Sunday mornings, but just, um, it's been incredible. It makes me want to worship um, it makes me want to know him. Um, also, I mentioned about just um, that unseen realm that Daniel's always talking about. Um, how I mentioned first service, how it's very clear that that unseen realm, everything that's going on around the throne right now, before the only one who's worthy, um, that realm is more real to Daniel than things we're seeing right now, then this realm, this earthly realm, um, these bodies, these fleshly bodies that, that wear us down. And um, I desire that. I desire that my eyes um, are awakened to that realm and that that supersedes anything I can see here. Um, yeah. So thank you, Daniel, awesome. for everything. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Jen. It's so good to hear those stories of the impact Daniel's made in the lives of others. And um, that's my question for you this morning, is is you probably could tell your own stories, those that have invested in you, those that have called the the good things out of you that God has placed there. And and, and because you've had that experience, the the call for us this morning is, who, who can you do that for? 
Who is God inviting you to invest in, to, to pray over, to speak words over, that they might grow in their faith and experience more of God's grace in their everyday lives? We, you, you could probably each tell a story about how that's happened in your life. I could think about Tim when I was in high school. He was one of our volunteers in the high school youth group. He's a police officer in Colorado Springs, and, and he invested in me. Um, I liked Tim a lot. He was a big dude police officer, and, and um, I played football in high school, so I always tried to take him out. I always tried to tackle him, you know, like sweep his leg or somehow choke him out or whatever. Um, but of course, he's a trained police officer with a taser, so not the best move for me. Uh, but I loved Tim and being with him, and so when he, after I graduated, said, hey, let's go, let's go get lunch and celebrate your graduation. And we went to an Italian place and got a two-foot calzone and tried to eat it all, and as we did that, uh, he just talked about what he saw in me how he saw God, God working in me. And he asked questions and he listened. And at the end of that meal, it was such an encouraging time. He said, hey, you want to do it again next week? And that summer before I went off to college, I had 10 lunches with Tim. And he, and he spoke into me and encouraged me. And, and as I headed into college, uh, I had a, a view of Jesus that had changed. I was excited to see what God was doing in the world and in my life. And, and Tim just showed up. And it, it wasn't that we gathered and he opened up his, uh, his lecture to me and said, okay, here's what we got for today. Let me read through my main points. He just sat with me and asked questions and shared what God was doing in his life. And God worked in those moments together to grow us both up. I want to encourage you that this is what God calls you to as well. If you're a, a follower of Christ, if you're a son or daughter of God, he is calling you to invest in others and help them grow in their faith. Jesus said as much in Matthew 28. He said, you must go. You must go and make disciples of all nations. You must go and make disciples. And when Jesus said that, he wasn't talking about some kind of organization was going to do that. He wasn't, he wasn't saying only the ones of you that got everything figured out, so only those of you who are kind of the super spiritual people among you. He was saying, he was saying it to anyone who follows me. Anyone who receives the forgiveness that I offer, if you are a Christian, if you are a little Christ, if you are following after me, he said, go and make disciples. That's his call to each one of us. So the challenge for us is, who is that for you? Who are you investing in? I think about 90% of the work of investing in someone else is that word go. 90% is just showing up. It's taking the time to reach out and say, hey, let's get coffee. Or do you want to go get some French fries? Let's go do something together. Let's go watch the game. And, and it's that 90% is just showing up and making the space to sit with someone else. It, it's, the hard, it's sometimes the hardest work. If I asked you, you know, who is the person you want that God's putting on your heart to, you know, that you want to disciple, you want to encourage, you want to mentor spiritually, uh, you might not be able to come up with anybody. You might be like, I'm not sure who that would be. Maybe someone comes right to mind. I don't know, but maybe you're kind of lost in that. And 90% of the work is identifying who that person is and asking them to sit down and start that conversation. That's some of the hardest work. And so once, you, once you're sitting with them, what do you do with the other 10%? What kind of things should you do? Well, here, this is where Paul writes in the letter and gives us some ideas. There's three things I see jumping out that Paul is doing with Timothy that he says, this is what you can do as well. This is how Paul encouraged Timothy's faith, and he gives us an example that, that we can follow. He starts by um, putting out a call to cooperate with God. He says, Timothy, I want you to cooperate with God. I'm I want to remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, he says to Timothy. Paul says, I see in you these gifts that God has placed in your life, and I want you to fan the, fan those, fan the flame of those gifts. 
So Timothy had them. It wasn't that the, there was no fire. It's not like you have to start it. He's like, I want you to fan it. I want you to increase it. I want you to expand it. I want you to see how God has gifted you and continue to lean into that, the ways that he's calling you to make a difference in the world. He says, I want you to fan that flame. When you think about fanning, it's like adding oxygen, right, to the fire. It's adding wind to the fire that it might grow. And you think about in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is, is the wind of God, right? It's the thing that moves among us. It's the thing that you can't always see it, but you can see the effects of it, just like the wind. That Thursday night, that storm, I mean, we all saw the effects of the wind on Thursday night. And that's what Paul is saying to Timothy, fan into flame this gift that you have. Invite the Spirit of God to expand it, to grow it, to increase the heat of that gift that he has given to you. Paul was calling him to cooperate with God in this gifting. So that's one of the ways we can encourage those we might sit with. Where are you gifted? How has God called you uniquely to make a difference in this world? What are the things that excite you? What are the gifts and abilities, experiences? What's your personality? You know, all these kinds of things. How is God using all of that to bring you into the kingdom and the work of the kingdom? What are the gifts that that God is operating in in your world? And you can ask questions about that with the person you want to invest in and encourage them to continue to use those gifts for the good of others. Paul then says he, he presents an invitation to invert to Timothy. An invitation to invert. He says there's, there's a different kind of way to live. He says God didn't give you the spirit of timidity, Timothy. He's given you a different kind of spirit, a different way to live and approach life. And that, that inversion is what is different for Timothy. So I, I think maybe Timothy was timid. You know, maybe he was a little bit more held back and Paul was calling that out of him and saying, hey, there's, there's a spirit of power, of self-discipline, of love that God is inviting you to operate in. And this is a good reminder for us. If we want to sit with someone and encourage them in their faith, there's times when we identify and call out those good things we see in them. We call out those gifts we see. We invite them to, to use them. And then there's times when we say, well, okay, now where are the rough edges in your life? Where's the foundation a little shaky? What are the things that, that the Spirit of God wants to transform in you and change up and switch? And, and I want you to engage. Paul says to Timothy, I want you to engage in this inversion. This, where, where do you need to grow in self-discipline? That's a good question to ask someone. Who is someone you need to learn how to love and forgive? What is an area of your life where you're looking for more boldness and courage? Paul, again, setting a pattern for us when we sit with someone. These are the kinds of questions we can ask. Finally, Paul says, I want to encourage you to submit to the suffering. I want you to submit to the suffering. He says, do not be ashamed of God or of me, a prisoner, but jump in with me as I suffer for the good news of Jesus, as I suffer for the gospel the good things that Jesus is doing in the world. It's not an easy call to suffer. None of us want to suffer. But Paul says to Timothy, hey, jump in with me. There's hardship. There's things that you have to go through. When I sat with Tim and ate that two-foot-long calzone, he would, he would sometimes ask me about how was I allowing the, the good news about Jesus to come out of my life uh, where I was working at the time. And I would have to say, well, Tim, I, I kind of hold my my faith pretty, you know, I kind of hide it underneath my blackjack pizza hat. You know, I just kind of stuff it in there as I was delivering pizzas at that time. And Tim would say, well, you know, it's about how you're living. You know, you don't have to have the right words. Are you, how are you being kind? How are you, uh, like, showing up for people even when they don't ask? Are you picking up shifts that people are looking for help with? Uh, how are you serving others? And he challenged me. He said, just move into that. Don't be afraid of it. 
Timothy and Paul, they had to suffer in maybe a different way. Paul was probably writing this letter to Timothy from prison. And we know Timothy later spent time in prison as well. The book of Hebrews says that he was released from prison because of their faith, because of their pursuit of God. They had to go through those kinds of hardships. Now, I might not have to go to prison, but the temptation is the same, to run away, to hide, to not engage with those things. And so as you sit with someone to encourage them in their faith, you can ask, what are the ways that God's calling you to suffer? What are the ways God is calling you to lay your life down, to die to yourself and embrace this new way of life he has for you? How are you allowing yourself to enter in to the challenge, the discomfort sometimes of walking in the kingdom of God? So Paul invests in Timothy and and Warren called to invest in others as well. Who is that person for you? I want to ask you to think about that. I want you to be hungry for that. I want you to long for that person, that man or that woman, that you could invest in them. And this isn't limited by age. If you're in in high school or middle school here, you you can invest, you can have spiritual kids as a seventh grader, right? When you have friends come to you and talk about what's going on at their house, the the hardship they're having at school, have a friend stabbed them in the back, you can say, hey, that is terrible, you know, I want to be with you in that. Let's talk, I believe there's a God that cares about that. Is it okay if we pray about it? Have you ever thought about praying with a friend who's going through tough stuff? Instead of just relating to them, kind of getting angry with them, what about praying with them and inviting them to see that God is still at work? This is something we can do. We are called to it. It's not easy work, but we're called to it. So who is the person that God is putting on your heart and calling you to invest in? And let me just, I know that what goes through your mind, you start to think, well, I don't have it all figured out. I, can't, I couldn't do that. I don't have the answers to the questions. All my friends already know Jesus. Right? I mean, these are the things that might be going through your mind right now. So I want you to be hungry for someone that you can invest in in a new way. Someone that God is putting before you. And if you don't see them right now, then let's ask God to help you see that person. These are one of those things where I think Jesus says, if you're not receiving because you're not asking. You're not being used by God to make an impact in the world because you're not asking him to help you make an impact in the world. You're not asking him to help you see that person that he wants you to invest in. I love how Daniel spoke those words over us that God is going to do big things and great things in this church. I hope he does. I pray he does. But you know how it's going to happen? One person at a time. As each one of you think of that person that God is putting on your heart and you reach out to them. You say, hey, let's get together for coffee. What's God doing in your life? I want to pray with you. I want to encourage you to pursue life with Jesus Christ. So let's talk to God about that right now, okay? Will you pray your he- bow your heads and, and let's talk to God together. Father God, we are so thankful that you are here with us right now in this place. And God, you have called us to be involved in your kingdom work, to go and make disciples, to seek and save the lost. You've called us to be your sons and daughters and to build into the lives of others. So, Father, we invite you to challenge us. And, Father, I pray for every person here right now that they would be able to see in their mind's eye the face of that person, the name of that person that you want them to invest in, that person that you want them to to lean in in a new way and call out your work in their life. Lord, put that person on our heart right now. I pray that you will give us courage and strength. We don't have all the answers, Lord. We really have nothing to offer them. But because your spirit lives in us, you can work through us. You can speak truth. You can encourage the faith of others. You can expand your kingdom. You can fan the flame of our gift.
that we can be an encouragement to someone else. So Father, give us strength and courage, even later today, to make a phone call, to send a text. Hey, let's get together for coffee. Hey, come on over. Let's have some dessert. Lord, allow us to create the spaces where we can encourage the faith of others around us. And might you receive all the glory for it. And we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.